Welcome to Tales of Moxie. I'm Desiree. And I'm Jenna Lee, and we're your hosts each week. Each week, we interview women to hear their stories, and we address topics that don't usually get talked about so openly. Be ready for honest and raw conversations about all the things we're struggling with as real women. Hey, everyone. For this week's episode, we have Krista, who's going to tell us about her experience with unplanned pregnancy, her loss, and how her perspective changed and where she is now. I really enjoyed getting to listen to her story, and I know you guys will too. She has some great insight and advice. Enjoy. Can you start off by telling about who you are, what you do, so the listeners can kind of get to know you a little better? Sure. My name is Krista, and I've been married for almost five years, and I have three kids. Juniper is seven. And Soren is three, and Romy just turned one and a half. And I'm a stay-at-home mom who aspires to occasionally do things outside of the house. (laughs) (laughs) As far as what I do, I uh, I try to do some other things, but mostly I just stay home. Well, that's a job in and of itself. Yeah. Well, very cool. Um, Why don't you tell me about a little bit about your past and the story that you want to share with all the listeners? Sure. Um, My story starts when I was 20 years old and I had just moved back from, basically I'd moved back to my hometown after a year and a half of kind of spending three months here, four months there. I had moved across the country for a job that I thought I was going to have for a whole year and then that didn't work out and I got fired, rightfully so. And so I had like this really deep loneliness in me because I had just graduated from high school a year and a half before And all of my friends were gone. They were all at college. They were away doing things. And so I'm here in my hometown with not really much of anybody. And I reconnected with a friend of mine who um, he and I grew up together. He was a few years older than me. And we lived in the same neighborhood. We went to the same schools. And we actually reconnected through MySpace. I don't know if anybody listening (laughs) even remembers MySpace, but uh, he just sent me a message one day and I didn't have anything going on. I was working part-time at the YMCA, um, didn't really have very many real solid friends. And uh, this was a trustworthy guy that I knew and we started hanging out. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly that he had feelings for me. And I guess I kind of had feelings for him. It was like this combination of, you know, I'm lonely and he's, he's fun and he wasn't really like dangerous or anything, but he wasn't really going anywhere. Um, and, uh, and so it, it turned physical much sooner than it should have. It shouldn't have gotten physical at all, but I just didn't really have the heart to like hurt this guy's feelings. And a, a couple of weeks later, I was on my way to Bible study and I just had this feeling I had just had my period very recently. Like I had no real reason to think this, but I was halfway to Bible study and on the way there is the one planned parenthood in my hometown. And I said, you know, I feel like I should take a pregnancy test. Um, I don't know why, but it was just this nagging kind of sensation that I should follow up with this, even though I had no reason to really. Um, well, not no reason, but it was probably not not the case, but it, it, all the same. Um, so I went in and I sit down and, and I, you know, do the urine uh, test and all of that. And I'm sitting in the exam room 
And the nurse comes in and she's reading off all of these questions. And in my mind, there is no way that I'm pregnant. I had my period like two weeks ago. There's not really a reason for this. And, and she's reading off all of these questions and I'm not really paying attention. And, and she gets to the end of the questionnaire and, you know, no, I'm not in an abusive relationship. No, I don't need drug counseling. You know, all of these questions that are in my mind, they're for other people. Mm-hmm. And she gets to the end of questions and she says, if the pregnancy test is positive, will you continue with the pregnancy? And I went, yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not a baby killer. And she said, really, you'll continue with pregnancy? And I said, yep, pro-life all the way. And she goes, because it's positive. And I went, what? <laughs> it's, it's positive. She looks at me and says, yep, it's very faint, but it is definitely positive. Do you want to come and see it? And I'm looking at her across the room and I went, well, okay. And my feet just turned to lead. And I'm walking across the room and I look at it and sure enough, you know, she utters something along the lines. I just black out at this point. Like mm-hmm. I, she may have said, congratulations. She put the test in a bag. She handed it to me with a whole workout, like providing an appointment to get care or whatever. And, and I just, whew, like everything around me just went black. And I remember holding the test in the little paper bag. I get in my car and I drove. I didn't go to Bible study that night. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. And I went straight to my boyfriend's house and I didn't even say anything to him. I just knocked on the door and I looked at him and he looked at me and I just sobbed and I just fell into his chest and just sobbed at the top of my lungs. I was just freaking out. I was so scared and brokenhearted and disappointed in myself and with the choices that I had made. But he was so sweet about it. He was very comforting. He was, you know, this is going to be okay. Like, we're going to figure this out. And so after a few days, I was thinking about all of this. And I'm 20 years old. I make minimum wage at the YMCA. I have no insurance. Um, I live with my dad. (laughs) And I just didn't have, like, this was not an ideal time to be pregnant and conceive a child. So I had told my boyfriend that I was considering placing the baby for adoption. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, you know, that just, that's for kids. You know, we're 20 and 22, 23 or something like that. I think he was 23. You know, that's what kids do. You know, we're adults. We can make this happen. You, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, give the baby away. And I had always wanted children. I had always wanted a family, but there was nothing in my life in this current circumstance that was pointing towards a good life for the child or a good life for me if I kept the baby. And so he kind of talked me off that ledge and I went, well, you know, okay, I I guess we'll do this. And I realized that I was going to have to tell my dad and tell my mom and tell my church, my conservative church and my pastors that I was gonna have a baby. And it was terrifying. Um, I just had these pictures of all of these travels that I was gonna do. You know, you go through a mourning stage when you have an unplanned pregnancy that you're, you're going to carry. Even planned pregnancies, like when you realize that you're going to be a mother, that necessarily excludes other things. And there is a mourning process that goes with that planned or unplanned. Um, But this one, especially being as young as I was, I went, oh gosh, like there's all these things I'm not going to be able to do. I hadn't even been to college at this point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
and I realized all of these things were not going to happen for me. And at the same time, I was going to have to face the shame of being an unwed parent, especially with the toxic and really painful parents that I had. And I started doing uh, like this frantic Google search, which I do not really recommend Googling frantically. I don't really recommend Googling for like real research anyway, but um, especially not when you're panicked and just completely losing your mind. Yeah. And I started to look for ways to induce abortions. Now I had been extremely conservative on the pro-life side up until, and even including this point, like I don't even think I really grasped what was happening to me at, at that time. I was just in such a state of stress and panic. Um, like I didn't even think that women should get abortions in cases of threat to their, to their own life. Like I was just mm -hmm. so far on the, the side of that. And, and I had this picture in my head of abortions just being this scary, horrible, painful thing, you know, legs in the stirrups and somebody's emptying me out like a grapefruit. Yeah. And uh, it just, I didn't know anything about abortions. I didn't know how they happened. I didn't know why women got them. I just knew in my head that they were scary and that they killed babies. And so I started looking up ways to induce abortion naturally, to induce a miscarriage, because abortion surgically through a doctor was just too scary and overwhelming to me. I couldn't go through with it, or at least I didn't think I could. And, um, and I settled on the idea that sounded most safe, like the least likely to actually hurt me. And there were lots of things. There was herbs you could take. There were mechanical ways, you know, the, the old coat hanger stories. And, uh, and I decided to just take this massive amount of vitamin C because it induces uterine contractions. And uh, this idea is echoed in the, the concept that when women in the Philippines or Fiji, like other tropical areas, want to induce miscarriage either they're very very pregnant and they're looking to get labor going or they are very early on in the pregnancy and they don't want to be pregnant they would eat these massive amounts of unripe pineapple in order to make that happen because the massive amount of vitamin c induces contractions so all that to say i went to the health food store and bought a whole bunch of vitamin c and took way too much of it um and just kind of waited for things to happen. And I don't know if maybe it wasn't happening fast enough or if I was just stressed to the point of breaking. It was probably both. And I just decided to go for a run. And I was not a runner. I was not physically active in any way, but I would, I just have to do something to get this out of my system. I'm just stressed out. And I went running. I lived uh, a mile from the Atlantic Ocean. It was January in Virginia, which is not really like a very happy time to go running. And I threw on as many clothes as I could and went out into the freezing cold and just ran. And I remember just feeling so desperate that I would just fall down of exhaustion. I thought about looking for cars and just jumping out in front of a car so that I either I would die or I would miscarry and I wouldn't have to tell anybody that I was pregnant. And yeah, so it was dreams. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I mean, I considered so many things in that like 45 minute run that I did. And I just ran as hard and fast as I could. I thought about abortion. I thought about suicide. I thought about moving away. Um, just anything to avoid this, this thing that had landed on me. And I finally went to the ocean and I thought about swimming into it in January in Virginia. <laughs> I would have very likely frozen or drowned. And, um, 
I mean, it, it's funny now to think about how panicked I was at that moment, but in the moment there was nothing funny and yeah, no way. I, I, I can't help but like, I laugh at myself when I think about it, but in, you know, 20 year old me wouldn't have found anything funny about it. And I just cried out to God, just straight out. Like, I can't do this. Please take this from me. Just make it go away, do something so that this does not become my life. Um, and I didn't hear anything back. And I had been walking with the Lord since I was 13 and I had heard God's voice. I had gone on mission trips. I taught Sunday school and knew who Jesus was and he was real and active in my life. And in that moment I cried out for him to take it away and I didn't hear anything back. And I think that's probably because I wasn't willing to hear any answer that he gave. I only wanted one answer. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know about anybody else, but in my walk with God, when I'm not prepared to hear any answer that he has, I tend to not hear anything. Yeah. Um, and so I picked myself up off the sand, walked home very, very slowly. It was like the middle of the night. It was freezing cold. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> you know, like like that's it. Like I'm, I'm going to be a mother. I'm going to have a child. I'm going to be pregnant. I'm going to have to tell everybody that I'm pregnant. And so, um, I went and got prenatal vitamins and I went to my OB and they did an ultrasound and, you know, confirmed it with a blood test. And they said, you know, congratulations. Like we understand this wasn't planned, but it seems like you're okay with it. And, you know, we told my boyfriend's family and I even started, you know, the dreaming process that you get in your head when you, when you get pregnant and you decide to keep the baby or you get pregnant when you want to be pregnant. And, you know, I started having all of those motherhood dreams, mm -hmm. I started thinking about names and what was my life going to look like with this guy. And, uh, about three days after I went to the obstetrician, I was coming out of church and I started to bleed just a little bit, like a little bit of, um, spotting. And I thought it was normal, but it wouldn't let up. It was like a dripping faucet. Like it just wouldn't really go away. And I started to feel this cramping feeling on one side of my abdomen. And I, I kind of put two and two together, but I didn't really want to go in that direction. And I went, well, maybe it's a miscarriage, maybe not. You know, maybe I'll just take some folic acid and put my feet up and it'll go away. But it didn't. And the pain was getting steadily worse. And I called my boyfriend and I said, I think I need to go to the ER. So we went there and they did another blood test. I had had a, a pregnancy blood test a few days before and they did another blood test and they compared it to my previous one. And they said, well, your hormone levels, the HCG levels in your blood are going down and lowering hormone levels. They're supposed to double, you know, every couple of hours mm -hmm. and um, the lowering hormone levels with the bleeding indicates that you're probably having miscarriage. Wow. And, um, and so in this moment, you know, I've gone from, oh my God, I'm pregnant to I would rather die than tell anybody that I was pregnant or have a baby. And now, well, okay, you know, maybe I'm going to be a mother. Maybe this will be okay. And then now I'm having a miscarriage. Like this is just a lot of ups and downs in the course of less than a week. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah. It was, it was a whirlwind and and so I, I was sad. Like I did cry. I was upset. Um, you know, my boyfriend was upset. He was getting kind of 
attached to the idea. It was, it was not very much time is the thing that I come back to. Like, how could I get so wrapped up in this idea with, you know, less than two weeks of being, you know, knowing that I was pregnant? Well, for me, I mean, when you become a mother, it's like, and you being against abortion, there's no other option. So once, I feel like once you came to terms with it, at least this is how it would be for me. Once I came to terms with it, it's like, that's the path. There's no other path. That's the way. So you have to like prepare yourself for like that. This is going to be my life. So it would make sense that you got so attached because that was how your life was going to be. Right. It was a picture that grew really quickly in my head. And I was surprised at that. I was surprised at being sad, even though I was still sort of in total panic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they gave me, they said, you know, there's nothing to do really, like just go home and you'll continue to bleed and maybe you'll pass some tissue and then that'll be it. Um, But as I went home, the pain got progressively worse. And they did another blood test a few days later at my OB's office. They referred me back to my obstetrician. And they did another blood test and they did an ultrasound. And instead of my hormone levels going down, they went up again. Um, indicates having a miscarriage, but there is something wrong with pregnancy. And they did an ultrasound and they couldn't find a little, you know, jelly bean on the image, uh, which meant that there's nothing within the uterus, but I'm very obviously pregnant. Like my hormone levels are going up and down. There's just no baby where it's supposed to be. And, uh, and I, I kind of had an inclination that it was an ectopic pregnancy when I started to have this cramping feeling just on one side. I had some, some light medical training in high school, and so I knew something of what pregnancy was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't really let myself think it, and now here I am in the obstetrician, and they're telling me that what I thought was gonna happen is what's happening. And, and she said, the pregnancy is not healthy. And it's probably tubal. You know, we can't see for sure because we need certain um, computer imaging and stuff like that. But um, she said the pregnancy is not healthy. And this is very likely to, to kill you. You will die of internal bleeding. And if it doesn't kill you because you get to the ER on time, then it will very likely take away your ability to have children. Wow. And, and I'm being faced with like, okay, so what do I do? And I just ask her straight up. I'm, I'm just dough in the headlights. My idiot boyfriend is there next to me. He doesn't know what's going on either. And he said, you know, what, what are we going to do? And I said, asked the doctor, what are we going to do? And she said, I would recommend um, we give you this drug. She didn't use the word abortion, which I think is part of my story. Like she said, we have this drug. We use it for cancer patients and rheumatoid arthritis patients. And it, it's an antifolate drug and it will, it will stop the, the pregnancy. It'll terminate it. And I went, okay. And I just blacked out. Like I didn't really grasp emotionally what was happening. I just kind of said, okay, here's what's going on in my life right now. Here's this person that's in charge. I'm going to hand this decision off to her because I have no idea what I'm swimming through right now. Yeah. Um, and so they did that. I laid down on my belly and they gave me an injection of this drug into my hip. And a couple of days later, I, I passed the pregnancy, like in the shower. Wow. Um, which was a mind blow. Like, whoa, look at this little thing. Like, I picked it up in my hand and looked at it, and and then I blacked out again. Like, I just, I could have had emotions at that point, and I just chose not to because I just didn't want to deal with it. Um, and I had broken up with my boyfriend 
by this point. Um, I had stopped taking his calls. He was a nightmare. He's not a bad guy, just, you know, not the one for me. And I'd already been pregnant, so I didn't really want to do like any of that anymore. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and as I went through my life, when I thought about this, this experience that I had, um, I didn't call it an abortion in my head. In my head, I called it a miscarriage because it was a baby that I wanted mm-hmm. that I didn't have. Even though it was a, a really rocky start, I did within, you know, 36 or 72 hours or something, like it kind of came around to the idea of having a baby and it became a baby that I wanted. So when I thought about it, I didn't think of it as abortion because I had never heard, like I said earlier, I didn't know what abortion entailed. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know what the mechanisms were. And I really didn't know like the, the very clear medical definition of abortion. And so when I got pregnant with my daughter, my first, my oldest child, uh, which was also unplanned. I was also unmarried. Um, but, you know, the concept of abortion hit me, but it didn't, I didn't pursue it because it, it, I didn't want to. Yeah. But then um, later on, when I married my husband and we were trying for another baby shortly after we got married, I got pregnant almost right away. And, um, and I had a miscarriage, like I had positive pregnancy test, had a blood test, and and then I started I started bleeding. I had a miscarriage shortly thereafter. And the sense of lack of control, the 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 mourning and the grief and just like the sudden onset of whoa, here's this thing that you had that now you don't have by virtue of nothing that you have done right or wrong. Like this is just something that happened. And talking through that with my my doctor at the time, um, I realized that there was such a massive difference between my very first pregnancy and this miscarriage that I had just had. And I went, well, I thought I thought I had a miscarriage, and somehow I don't remember how I got into it, but I started reading about women who had had abortions and women who had had miscarriages, and I found this community of people who were going through. Uh, various stages of fertility issues. And I started reading about what abortion actually was and how it was different from a miscarriage. And I came to this, you know, realization like methotrexate, the drug that they gave me is used to stop very early pregnancies, especially tubal pregnancies, because you can't do a surgical one and you can't do a medical one because it's a different situation. And so what I had previously thought was this thing that was out of my control, I realized that this was an, an abortion. And me, like, I'm still very point when I'm reading through these things, playing with what this means for me and what I've just gone through, I had the realization, I, as a pro-life person who have identified as pro-life my whole life, I realized that I had an abortion. I was pregnant. The pregnancy was progressing. It wasn't progressing healthy but it was progressing and it would have continued until it ruptured inside of me and I died or lost my fertility. And that, that's what most likely would have happened. Um, and to realize that that was my story and that it wasn't a story of sudden uncontrollable loss like a miscarriage is, was a real mind blow for me. Um, and from that, I started to just read voraciously about abortion 
miscarriage, fertility issues, um, obstetrics, and just just the whole concept of fertility in general. And I realized when I had an abortion, um, I had to grasp, was this a sin? Because I'm a Christian and I'm pro-life and I don't think anybody should have an abortion ever. And now I'm realizing that I had one. Mm-hmm. Did I... Did I have, did I commit a sin? Did I do something wrong here? Do I need to be forgiven for this? And what really kind of blew my mind was as determined as I am to acknowledge my faults, like I'm just one of those people who just constantly lives in a state of guilt. Like I am ready 99.9% of the time to admit like, yeah, that thing I did was stupid or screwed up. Um, you know, these are my long list of things that in ways I am inadequate. So I'm pretty, I'm a person who's pretty ready to admit I did something stupid or wrong. And here I am looking at this abortion issue and I, I don't think I did anything wrong. I don't think it was a sin. I don't think God's mad at me. I don't think I need to be forgiven for it. I had an abortion and it wasn't wrong. That's my clear and honest heart state on, on this, my particular decision. I'm not saying that this applies to anybody else's. I'm saying for me personally, when I look at my circumstance, I don't think my abortion was a sin in any way, shape or form. And, and when you, when you came to the realization that you had an abortion and you were looking back and then you, you felt like it's not a sin, God's not mad at me. Were you often replaying, um, like the procedure, the shot, the drug? Did you replay that scenario a lot? Or when you realized that it wasn't anything that God was frowning upon you? Or was it just like, kind of like a switch? Like, okay, I, God's not mad at me. He's my father. He loves me, like, no matter what. Or were you still doubting like well I did have an abortion this is what happened like I kind of blacked out I I don't know if I dealt with it the right way what what were you thinking um now I I probably should have used a different term than blackout because I remember it there's no point at which I I don't remember what was happening um when I say blackout I mean more that I I just shut off my feelings like I just decided to be like this is cold hard math this is one plus one is two this is what needs to happen in order for life to move forward. So as far as, you know, blacking out, it wasn't that I didn't remember. It was that I just chose to, to chug along like a train engine instead of taking time to process it at that time. Um, but the answer to your question, no, I, th- I think it was pretty much cold, hard math. Like I didn't feel that it was an issue of, I didn't sin because God loves me because I know that that's not how sin works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have children, they break rules all the time. And <laughs> regardless of whether I love them or not, uh, they're going to continue to break rules. So when I, when I realized and concluded that my abortion was not sinful, it wasn't because God loves me. It was because the act that I did was not wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason, if anybody's interested to know, like the reason that I didn't think my abortion was wrong is because if I had let it continue along, I would have died. And if I would have died, then that would have been, you know, this kind of just do anything about it 
you know, God is always in control kind of ending. And, you know, maybe God wanted me to die, but I don't know that that's really consistent with who God is. Like you got pregnant and now you should die. Like that doesn't sound like Jesus to me. That just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Um, and so from that point where I said, okay, well, if my abortion, I had an ectopic pregnancy that would have very likely killed me, um, for, for fun fact reference point, I have a, an antique gynecology manual on my shelf here in my living room. And it was published in 1893. And there is a chapter in there on tubal or ectopic pregnancies. And it says that tubal pregnancies are 88% fatal. Wow. Um, and I'm willing to bet that the other 12% of women who die of tubal pregnancy were rendered partially or completely infertile. Um, so from that point of like knowing that this ectopic pregnancy probably would have killed me, like they don't turn into babies, really. They don't turn into happy, healthy things and they don't let their mothers live either. Mm -hmm. um, so from my perspective of, okay, I had an abortion and I don't think it was wrong. How do I address other women's abortions? And what I came to the conclusion of is that whether something is sin or not is much more gray than I was willing to give it credit for. I mean, I said earlier that I was one of the super far right pro-life folks and I was willing to, to let this woman, this faceless woman in my head, like this faceless woman was going to die because she had an ectopic pregnancy, because I didn't think that she should be able to take that life into her own hands. But what I had done in that same moment was I took that woman's life into my hands. Mm -hmm. And that becomes another level of, okay, so what level of control do I really want to have over other people's decisions? Yeah. And you can very easily apply that concept to abortion, to the lives that women have, to the choices that they have to make about their own health and the health of their families. Um, so yeah, it was, it was easy to take my experience and expound on it to include the circumstances and situations of other people. Yeah. So your whole, when, from when you got pregnant to when you, when you got pregnant, when you found out, when you kind of made peace with it, and then when you started to feel pain and went to the OB, all that happened within like a few weeks, right? Yeah, I was inside of two weeks. Wow. Um, so it was all extremely fast. Did you mm -hmm. ever, because, well, just because the relationship got serious so fast, did you ever feel pressured to marry your boyfriend? He suggested that we get married. So I absolutely did feel pressure. Um, not so much from my parents. Uh, I think my parents would have rather me be alone and be a single mom than be married to the wrong person. But of course, that's something that speaks to their experience in the matter. My parents were divorced mm -hmm. and they were both remarried at this point. But he told me like, no, I, I love you. I am in love with you. I want to marry you and we're going to have a family. And his family was there and they were supportive. And we told them that I was pregnant. And when he offered to marry me, I just kind of went, well, maybe maybe this will be okay. <laughs> uh, I was willing to entertain the change in my life. It was so different from what I thought I was going to do, but I was willing to put that on hold 
like my ideas of what I thought my life would be, I was willing to put that on hold for the sake of this new baby that had come along. Mm-hmm. And um, even if it meant giving up the idea of marrying the person that I should, which wow. he, I should not have married him. And I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. That's a, it's a big life decision as long as like, along with having a baby is a big, they call, they say it's a big life event, but it can be a decision, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you told his parents you were pregnant and they knew, um, did you ever tell the church or your parents? There were some people in the church that I trusted enough to tell them. Um, and when I told them about, I didn't tell them until after I'd had the abortion. I didn't okay. know that I'd had an abortion at that point. I told them that it was a miscarriage mm-hmm. because in my head, that's what it was. Um, and I told them after all was said and done, and I was still just kind of reeling from the roller coaster. Um, I told my dad, I told him that I was pregnant and that I had a miscarriage because I started getting hospital bills. Oh, okay. And I lived with him, so he saw my mail, and you know there was no point at which I said, "Hey, I'm going to go to the hospital." Um, and he didn't ask. He is a guy who appreciates his privacy, and he knew that I would appreciate mine. So he was really nice about it. And I did tell him at some point. I told him, you know, I I, I was pregnant and I had a miscarriage, and I had to check in and out of the ER. It was like a six thousand dollar bill. It was crazy. Wow. Um, and I told him. I told my mother, and my mother was like she just rolled her eyes. Um, She huffed and she said, Oh, wait, so you had a miscarriage or did you have an abortion? And in my head, of course, like I had a miscarriage. I was like, No, mom, I would never have an abortion. And she said, Well, you know, dodge that bullet, (laughs) keep them closed next time. Oh, uh, that was a fun conversation. So when I, when I got pregnant again, like a year and a half later, it was not a happy phone call because I knew that it wouldn't be. And this is my Christian mother. Like my dad isn't a believer and I mean, maybe he is, but it's not really like a priority in his life. But my mom is the one who claims to have like this diehard, definite knowledge of Jesus as her Lord and Savior was the one who harsher recipient of this news. And And that was hard to take. That just seems, to me, it seems like the more appropriate reaction because Christians tend to judge a lot more harshly and it might, it might be your mom's personality along with it. But I mean, if someone within the church, like, especially a young female approaches them unwed and says, I'm pregnant or I had a miscarriage, anything that elicits premarital sex or like promiscuity or like having a baby being a single mom you know it's like automatically the finger is pointed and like you're wrong for it and everyone looks down at you but people who aren't as caught up in the faith and what what a christian should look like what they should do it's like they they are so much more accepting like oh I'm sorry for you that it was unplanned, but I mean, you're, you're doing the right thing by keeping it. And it's like, there's so much more grace from people who aren't Christians about premarital sex and like <laughs> having babies outside of marriage. And it's oh. like, it's yeah. such a bummer that Christians can't be supportive because mm-hmm. 
like okay someone's gonna make their own decisions they're gonna do what they're gonna do their their faith is between them and god and a lot of people tend to bring their input into other people's relationships with god mm-hmm. but other people outside of christianity tend to be a lot more accepting of different lifestyles and like other people's decisions and within the christian community i have found that people like to make your decisions for you and do what's best for you in your walk with god and i feel like it's such a double standard oh of course because we get to carry the evidence for nine months and then a couple months afterwards where we've got that baby around us all the time Mm -hmm. I mean there is there's something to be said that you know I still personally I do think sex outside of marriage is not what we're supposed to do and I I held that view and yet at the same time I I committed the same sin as anybody else and I think what 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 the, the church could do with a dose of is understanding that we all have our own like pet sins that mm-hmm. culturally like we just kind of obsess over and and there are others that we we don't give as much credence to because it's acceptable in our culture like we the church doesn't talk nearly as much about greed or poverty or jealousy or hating our neighbor in our heart like I feel like those things are not talked about very much in our our youth clubs like we're not trying to save teenagers from being greedy corporate tools (laughs) we're trying to save them from getting pregnant and getting stds like Mm -hmm. those both of those things are important like you want to raise kids that understand that sexuality has a place but i also want to raise kids that understand to be to know jesus is to give willingly of their finances and i mean that's just an example but um yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Like the church tends to find like, oh, the girl that's having sex, we need to we need to surround her and let her know that this is not okay. Whereas the guy who's having sex or the guy who is stealing or profiting or cheating on his taxes or anything like that, like that's just an example. But yeah, we all have our, our pet cultural sins we like to obsess over. Yeah. So you being in a in a church and being actively in the Bible study and everything and finding out you're pregnant, what are the reactions that would have helped, helped you in that instance? Like you were on your way to Bible study and you found out you're pregnant. What would, I guess, what would the community look like to not send you in a downward spiral, downward spiral of like uncertainty and, hopelessness like because for me I'd want if someone was in my youth group I'd want them to keep coming to youth group and saying I just found out I'm pregnant I I don't even dig this guy I'm just like he's just here and like what would that look like for people to create like a supportive um kind of a supportive group to help women in that circumstance yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the thing to focus on, if it had been me um, in that moment, I think somebody would have asked me, someone should have asked me right away, what do you want? 
And the nurse at Planned Parenthood tried to do that by asking if it's positive, will you, will you continue the pregnancy? Because we do assume that like, oh yeah, of course I know what I would do in that situation because I've never been in it before. It's always an easy answer. Yeah. But when it comes to the church and our friends and family that we need to love on in times like that, I think the first thing to really ask is what do you want out of your life right now? Like what is scaring you the most? What, what is driving you the most? What are your motivation? What are you really working towards? Um, and, and part of that is because I don't think abortion is a universal sin always and ever. And I know there are a lot of people in the church who will disagree with that. Um, but the other half is because whatever choice that make, that person makes, you know, legal or, or, or whatever, that's a separate discussion. But for right now, abortion is legal. And when a woman chooses to continue a pregnancy or have an abortion or place a child for adoption or become a mother, that needs to be a choice that she owns completely. It needs to be a choice that she says, nobody pushed me into this. Nobody, you know, coerced me or tried to convince me to do X, Y, Z. I think, I think back to my experience and there were just so many voices that just were, were just shouting at me from all directions. Yeah. And I mean, knowing me and who I am and where that whole story took me, like if my pregnancy had been healthy, I would have had a baby. I would have become a mother. I wouldn't have placed that child for adoption. And because that's exactly what I did when it happened a year and a half later, when I got pregnant with my daughter, I was, I hadn't been seeing the guy for very long and I liked him well enough. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I got pregnant and I was at the same church and I had the same parents. Like I went through very much the same circumstance just a year and a half later and I made the same choice. Um, it was because I was a little bit older and I had, the wherewithal to say, what do I want right now? What do I want out of my life? Yeah, this wasn't planned, but ultimately I wanted a family. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so for somebody else who's going through an unplanned pregnancy, I think the first thing to ask is what do you want? And that can take some time to figure out. Um, but there's this idea, especially in the church, but I think it's part of the culture at large as well, that women who don't have babies or aren't married um, are this universally sad group of people who are running around the church trying to snag a man. Yeah. <laughs> and that every woman wants to get married and every woman wants to have children. Every woman wants to do X, Y, Z. And, and that's just not true. Like the more women I meet, the more diverse groups of people. And, uh, and the same is true of men. Um, and the, the way to support women starts long before they get pregnant unexpectedly. The way to support women is to say, I honor you, Desiree, for what you want and what you want your life to look like and your desires for your family and your life. And it, it comes back around to me as well when it's my turn. And so honoring that sometimes women don't want to get married, honoring that sometimes women don't want to have children, that's, that's part of it. That's where it starts. And you can extend that to when a woman gets pregnant unexpectedly, uh, ask her what she wants. That's the first question that we should really ask is to get to know these girls that are in the situation yeah, rather than I think, just coming down with our, our plans for what we think that she should do, because then there's no way for her to own that decision. Yeah. I think that's so important too, because I look back to 
the situations in my life where I didn't know what to do, no one asked me. They all just said, do this. You should do that. You shouldn't do that. And they would, they all just came at me. And then I'm left even more of like, okay, now what do I do? Because I don't really want to do that, but they're saying I should do it. These other people are saying I should do something else. And I mean, if I, if I was given the opportunity to just like, for someone to ask me to like, take the reins, what do you want? What do you want out of this? And how can I help you achieve that? Instead of people saying, oh, well, this is how it should be here. You shouldn't have done this. And now this is how you're going to have to deal with it. And I think that's such a good point just to ask, ask them, like, listen, what do you want? Yeah, I think it's a lost art right now. I think in our, our world where we have such seemingly severe polar differences between groups of people. Um, the, the people that inspire me the most, I listen to a lot of TED Talks and read a lot of books about like how do we bridge the gap between two totally different groups of people. And it, it starts with asking questions. And that's something that I think we've forgotten how to do, especially when it comes to pregnant women, especially in the church. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree. Well, we usually ask what is one thing you would tell a woman in that situation of being in an unplanned pregnancy? But I think you've already answered that. Um, but could you just summarize again, what, what would you tell a woman, say you're in the youth group and a 20 year old just found out she was pregnant and she opened up to you about it? What would you try to encourage her to do? Like I said, I would ask her what she wants. And honestly, like eight times out of 10, a woman's going to know what she wants right away. Um, I think it might just take a few people asking her and, you know, double checking people that she knows, people that love her. And in that situation, I think you really need to surround yourself with people who will love you no matter what. I think in the dying crisis, like unplanned pregnancy, we tend to look for the people who want what's best for us, quote unquote, like there's air quotes on that. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot, you know, what kind of people I'm talking about, like, I just want what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And that may be true, but at the same time, you're not me and I'm not you. And I'm not going to try and come into your life and tell you what's best for you. And now you need to allow me the same respect. And so what you need to do is find the people who know you deeply, the people who will love you unconditionally and they can help you counsel through the decision of what do I want right now? Because I think most of the time women know what's right for them right away. But sometimes when you don't, you need to surround yourself with people who love you, period. Mm -hmm. Not the people who have their opinions about X, Y, Z, not the people who just want to not force their will, but we get these ideas of other people, what we think they should be. And we can kind of surround ourselves with those people sometimes. So the people who want what's best for you, tell them to just kindly take a back seat and find the people who love you no matter what. Right on. I think that's great advice. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted the listeners to know? I want the listeners to be cautious with their convictions. Um, And this 
includes not just abortion. Like I have, of course, I've come around to the pro-choice side and I'm willing to dialogue with people on that, like totally. Um, but it, that extends to other areas of our faith, areas of theology, areas of politics. Um, be cautious with your convictions because we could be wrong. And I might be wrong now. Maybe I was right the first time and I'm wrong now. I don't know. Um, but there's no way for us to know the things that we don't know. Does that make sense? Like yeah. Where you are right now is, is where you're supposed to be and you're working through those things. And it's important to take these firmly held beliefs that we hold so sacred and be willing to lose the luxury of simplicity. And we need to be willing to open ourselves up to other people's stories. We need to be willing to allow for nuance in our worldview where it's appropriate. And more than anything, especially as followers of Christ, we need to be willing to love people who are different from us and who make different choices more than we are willing to hold on to our dogmas. Like the person needs to always be more important than the issue. And that goes for people, sacred or secular, abortion, you know, tax laws, environmental, like whatever, put in your favorite pet issue in there. And we always need to value people just as much, if not more so than the issues that we hold so dear. Well, great. You've been amazing to talk with and you've had some great insights and I loved hearing your story. Well, thanks for having me. I really like what you guys are doing. I think telling stories, allowing women to just give them the floor and let them run with it is, is part of how we build these conversations about hard topics. So I'm very much into it. It's very rad. <laughs> thank you. We think so too. That's what we're trying to do anyways. <laughs> well, thank, you. thank you for being on and we'll hopefully have you on again soon. Sure. We'd love to.